Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. We have been in a series called Parent Fail for the last two weeks. This is the third in the series, and we're going to be finishing the series this week. And uh, I'm really excited about closing out this series. It's been a, a lot of great reminders for me and my family as we've walked through this series, and it's it's been really good. And the question we've been asking all along is, hey, we have may have moments like we just saw in the video where we want our kids to swing out on the zip line and we accidentally drop them and they fall face first in the water or, or whatever it is, you know, those, those little parent fail moments. But how do we avoid being failures as parents? How do we avoid at the end of our time with our kids, we send them out and look, look back uh, so that we're not saying, man, I, I missed all these opportunities uh, with my kids. And so as part of this series, we've kind of been introduced to this little chart, and if you remember this chart here, it's in your bulletin, I believe, this week, uh, and we talked about the three different stages. We said from zero to seven is imprint. This is where we are imprinting the Word of God on our kids' hearts. This is when their minds are malleable, when they can remember things before they get their cell phone, before they get their computer, and their mind still works. Uh, then we want to be imprinting the Word of God. This is where we help them, uh, we just repeat Scripture over and over and over again to them. We're imprinting this stuff on them. And then ages 7 to 14, we move to impress. This is where we begin to talk to them and impress the Word on their hearts. They begin watching us to see how we're acting, how we're behaving, and if what we say and what we do matches up. And then finally, today we're going to talk about apprentice, ages 14 to 21. And we're going to talk about how at this stage, everything kind of changes. And imprint, we've been talking about their head. We're just trying to get it stuck in their head. And then 7 to 14, the impress stage, we want it on their heart. And now as apprentices, we want it in their hands. They're training. We're watching. We're processing as they take ownership of their faith. I'll never forget, I shared this, I believe, in the first message that my parents told me after we left home, they said, our biggest prayer for you was that your faith would be your own before you left the house. Because the reality is that your faith cannot save your child, right? It has to be a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so we may point them towards Jesus, we may walk with them, we may bring them to all the stuff, but in reality, what we need to be praying for is that we would find a way to help them take hold of that faith for their own, that it would become a reality for them. And we also talked as a part of this, as we look at the different phases, that there's different ways we relate to our kids. We begin here in the imprint stage, we're really high, zero to seven, we're high on authority. This is where we get to lead out just by saying, I'm bigger than you, and because I'm daddy and I said so, right? And, and they need to learn to respect our authority. But as they get older, we can't continue to lead simply out of authority, that we need to be building relationship. And over time, the hope is, as we get to the apprentice stage, that we're leading more out of relationship with them out of, as an apprentice than we are out of that authority. And then somewhere in the middle, that line crisscrosses, and we, be, we begin to see our, our positional authority go down a little bit. It uh, doesn't really work very well to tell a 16-year-old, uh, I'm going to remove you from this situation and put you over here. It works with a 16-month-old, but not with a 16-year-old. And so we've got to learn how to parent out of that relationship and how we can build that relationship. We become uh, less of an authority figure and more of a coach or a mentor as our kids get a little bit older. And there's a couple of mistakes. Before I, 
planted this church almost four years ago, got into church planning and uh, lead pastor. I served in youth ministry for about 11 years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know it'd be easy to say, well, Charlie doesn't have any teenagers of his own. Uh, let's see how he does once he's got his own teenagers. Um, but it, it, here's, here's the thing. I, I, I've done youth ministry for a number of years, and I've also had a number of mentors with teenage kids that have poured into me and shared with me and um, helped guide me along the way. And I've learned from, from watching them as they, in some ways, have apprenticed me. But I think there's, there's a couple of big mistakes that, that we can make as we go about this transition from, from authority figure to now I'm increasing in relationship. And the first mistake that I think a lot of parents make is they try to parent solely out of relationship. They try to parent solely out of relationship that I'm going to be my kid's best friend. That now that they're 14, they no longer need the authority in their life. And they just kind of cut that off and they say, now we're just going to be friends. It's going to be uh, me and you. We're going to be best friends. And they don't lead at all out of authority. And they fail to recognize that that the the human brain is not fully developed until the mid-twenties. Guys, unfortunately, it's a little bit longer for us, right? It's, for ladies, it's about 21. For guys, it's actually about 25. Your brain is not fully developed. And so your, your kid, when he comes home and, and he's not wanting to do his homework, what's going through your mind is, if you don't do this homework you're not going to pass this class. If you don't pass this class, you're not going to get into college. If you don't get into college, you're not going to get a good job. If you're not going to get a good job, then you're not going to be able to take care of me in my old age. All he's thinking is there's a football game this weekend, and this homework is getting in the way of me having fun. They haven't fully been able to process cause and effect yet. And so we can't just cut things off and say, well, there's no longer authority at all, and we're just going to relate purely out of uh, relationship. Uh, There is, in some ways, I think we do have to let our kids fail. We do have to let them make mistakes. But we also have to make sure that that we are there to guide them through that. And a second part of this, uh, parenting solely out of relationship that I've seen before, is when parents make the mistake of saying, you know what? Um, my kid is going to do bad behavior later in life. He's going to be faced with all of these hard decisions about drinking, about drugs, about sex. And so I'm going to do all that bad stuff with him. I'll let them do it under my supervision. At least that way they're safe doing it. Believe it or not, that is the, the narrative that's going through our culture right now. My high school kid's going to drink, so you may as well do it in my house. I'll, I'll buy the booze. You guys bring your friends over. And, and here's the problem with that is your kids get older, and they have their own kids. There is now a question introduced into their mind that you never want introduced into your kid's mind. That question is this. What were my parents thinking letting me do that? What were my parents thinking letting me do that? Because now your whole relationship with them growing up is in question. Right? So we have to be sure that we're, we're leading well, that we're not going to be putting them in any sort of, of harm's way. Uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who think that that's the best way, and this question is going to come up, especially for kids who later on in life are going to struggle with alcoholism, drug addiction, sex addiction, addiction to pornography, and all those things that mom and dad thought they were helping by introducing to their kids in a safe way quote-unquote, safe way. 
but really they're just causing all sorts of damage. So we have to maintain some authority. The second mistake I think people make is this. When they try to parent uh, out, of, out of this type of relationship, and you can see what happens is the authority comes down a little bit, but then they keep the authority under the relationship. So as long as you obey, as long as you do what I say and you follow my rules, then we can have relationship. But if you mess up, then the relationship goes away. And you may not say it, but it's written all over your face. The kid comes home and and is messed up, and now you're looking at them, and they just know that for the next year, they're going to be sitting across the table from you with a sour look on your face. And the mistake that we make here is by thinking that that we have to keep them under this authority without raising the relationship or that the authority stays over the relationship. And as long as you obey, as long as you do what I say, then we can have relationship. But if you mess up, that relationship goes away. And here's why that's a mistake. Because the greatest way you can influence your child in this 14 to 21 is through relationship. And if you remove that relationship, you've now missed an opportunity to influence your child. We miss that opportunity. So we have to be careful, not only that, but this also begins to introduce into the, into the children's mind that this is how love works. Love is always conditional. If I do what mom and dad say, if I obey their rules, then they will love me. And that eventually leads to, if I obey God's rules, then God will love me. They begin to think that God operates that way. And we know that God's love for us is unconditional, and he demonstrated that through the cross of Jesus Christ that we're saved by grace through faith alone. So we have to be careful what we're, what we're pointing our kids to and how we're interacting with them. Um, and, and let's be honest. Can, I'm here at River Rock, we don't pull any punches. If I can get this chart back up again, let's look at that chart one more time. This zero to seven age, it's really easy for a lot of us to look good as parents, Right? It's really easy when they're this small. When we get to 7 to 14, it's pretty easy for some of us to look good. But when we get to 14 to 21, it's really hard for any of us to look good as parents. And that's okay. I think we have to be okay with that because we have to be in the habit of allowing our kids to make some mistakes. They're they're learning. They're apprenticing. Our job is to help them process what's going on. Now, we're not going to send them out there to make mistakes make major mistakes, life-altering mistakes, but let me give you one example from my own life. When I turned 16 and I started driving, my parents' rule was on the weeknights, you are at home by 9 o'clock. On the weekends, you're at home by midnight. And that was the rule. And they told me that rule when they handed me the keys the first time I turned 16. They said, here are the rules. And every once in a while, they would, they would make sure I understood the rules, I knew the rules, this is back, way back before everybody had a cell phone. Like, we had a phone that went with the car, you know, in case, in case something happened. It was in case of emergencies. But mom and dad weren't going to call that cell phone and remind me to come home. It was my job to get home. And they said, here's the rules. Be home nine on weeknights, 12 on the weekends. For every minute you're late, you come home an hour early the next night. If you're more than five minutes late, you don't go out the next night. That's just the way it works. So I knew the rules, and I knew how it was. No one ever called me and told me it was time to come home. That was my responsibility. And you know what? Sometimes I failed at that. And when I failed at that, there were consequences. So there are some things. uh, Another thing was uh, 
if I had a project that was due the next day and I came home and said, Mom, Dad, I got a project due the next day that I've known about for three weeks, my parents' response was, man, sounds like you're going to have a late night. We're going to bed. Good luck. They let me fail at some of the small things. We have to be willing to let our kids do that because those are opportunities where we then get to go back and process with them, okay, what could you have done differently? What could you have done differently? And I'll tell you, going back to the, the uh, curfew example, my parents were great. If I called from a friend's house, said, hey, we're over here, we're in the middle of a movie, can I stay a little bit later till we're done? Absolutely. Come home as soon as it's over. It was never a problem. Or they'd say, no, you have the SAT tomorrow and it's midnight, you need to come home. But for the most part, they were really good. And it built a lot of relational trust later on for me to be able to go with them. Uh, and, and some of you are looking at that and you're saying, man, if I lift that lid of authority, you have no idea. You have no idea. My kids are going to go crazy. My kids are just going to go nuts. I can't trust them. And let me just share something that, uh, that I've learned from, from one of my parents, uh, from my parents and from one of my mentors about uh, some realizations when it comes to control. And this is something that, that my mentor said. He said, you know, I can't control everything about my teenage kids and my young adult kids. I have input on some things, but I can't control who their friends are. I can't control where they go when they get in the car. But I do have input on some things. They will go to school, they will work, and they will go to church as long as they live in my home. And he said, here's the thing that I always tell my kids. I always let them know that I will not finance or fund or provide anything that you're going to use to hurt yourself. Right? So when it comes to cell phones, you don't just get a cell phone because you're a teenager. You have to prove to me that you can be responsible. And if I find out that you're using that cell phone to have a harmful relationship or to plot destructive behavior towards someone else, that cell phone's coming right back. If I find out that you're using your car to drive you to places that are not safe, where there's, there's bad behavior taking place, the keys are coming back. And then he, he said this, he said, I've also told them that I will not finance a college education. I will not put a dime into a college education that you are going to use for drunken partying. I won't do it. I won't do it. I would rather be the dad that loved you enough to not pay for your college than to just go along and say, well, this is what everybody does. They're going to do it anyway, so I may as well just pay for their college. He said, I'm just not going to do it. My kids know that. We have to be sure that we're not enabling them. We're not giving them a computer to take to their, to their room where they're going to get on the Internet. They're going to be, begin searching destructive things that are going to damage their heart and their minds for the rest of their lives. We've got to be wise in the way that we do that. And... Uh, uh, these are just some, some different things, and I know uh, from my own kids at six, seven years old that they don't always follow their father's wisdom and advice and counsel, but if I'm honest, I haven't always followed my heavenly father's wisdom and counsel. And I think as parents, we have to acknowledge that in front of our kids as well, that, that we, when we make mistakes, we need to own it. Um, but our hope is that the longer we go, the more we go, the better able we are to follow God's, God's counsel and to point our kids to that. So this morning we're going to jump into 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And here Paul is the, the discipler, 
and he is talking to Timothy, his disciple, someone that he's been training. And I think this is great because not only are we going to see the content of what he's trying to teach Timothy, he's also teaching Timothy some skills that need to be passed on for Timothy to be able to disciple others. For the, the master is teaching the apprentice. And I think these are, are great skills for us as parents to understand that we are apprenticing our children. We are discipling our own children. And you may be here this morning and say, you know what, I don't have kids. My kids are grown. I don't have that opportunity anymore. But let me just tell you this. These things that we're going to look at today, you can remove the parenting aspect and you can use it in terms of discipleship. And think about who God has placed in your life and how do I help the people around me go deeper in their relationship with God by applying these exact same principles. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this is the first thing that I want us to see, is that we have to teach our kids that strength comes from an interactive relationship with Jesus. Strength comes from an interactive relationship with Jesus. Paul doesn't say, hey, be strong in the fact that you're my spiritual son. Man, you've been discipled by, by the apostle Paul. You should be strong in that fact. You know, I, I can't look at my kids and say, be strong in the fact that your daddy is a pastor. Be strong in the fact that your last name is Turner. Be strong in the fact that you were born in America. Be strong in the fact that, that you went to a good school, that you that you have some financial resources. Or be strong in the fact, he didn't even say be strong in the fact that you had a great youth group, that you're athletic, that you're charming, that you're smart. All the things that so often we tell our kids to rely on to get them ahead in life when things get difficult, a lot of times we say, hey, don't forget how smart you are. Don't forget the family you come from. And Paul says, no, we need to teach them to rely on the strength that comes from the Lord on the grace that comes from the Lord. And I think this is so hard for us because so many of us forget the reason we don't do this, the reason we, we tend to look through these other things and think, well, it's, it's my wisdom, it's my intellect that's going to get me through. And we forget to rely on the grace of Jesus Christ is because we forget that it's available to us. I mean, how many of us seriously wake up daily and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to have this difficult conversation today. How do you want me to handle it? Lord Jesus, I have this teacher that I'm really struggling with at school. I feel like she hates me and I don't know how I'm going to set foot in her class. How do you want me to handle this? Jesus, I'm struggling here. Lord, what would you have me do? We forget that that grace is available to us. And I'll never forget when I was in college... I learned this lesson very well. Uh, It was about the fourth week of school, and at the time, I was a freshman at college, my very first semester, and uh, I'm I'm a little bit type A, all right? So we have these journal reviews that we had to do for Dr. Wyrick's Old Testament class. We had one that was due every week. So I went the first week of school, and I did all of mine for the whole semester so they would be done with. And I would know that there was no problem. All I would have to do is go to my computer and print one out and turn it in. It was great. It was a great system. Well, the problem is the day before the very first one is due, this is like 80% of my grade, is doing these every week. The day before the first one is due, my computer crashes. Hard drive, gone. I don't know anything about computers. I'm freaking out. And so I do the only thing that I can think of to do. I call my parents. I'm like, my hard drive crashed. Like, 
40 hours worth of research writing is on that computer, and it's all gone. And I'm, I'm not as calm as I am right now. Um, I was freaking out quite a bit. May have been some grown man crying taking place at that point. And, and I'm like in my room sobbing, and my parents' response is, well, let's just pray about this. I'm like, praying is not going to fix my hard drive. Like, what, they said, well, you just need to pray. Uh, what, is, what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 6? And they, I'm like, I don't know. So they're like, yes, you do. He says that consider the birds of the air and how much your heavenly Father cares for them and he, how much more he cares for you. So they point me back to Scripture. He said, don't you think that if you'd pray about this, God would show you what, what's going to happen and what you need to do? So we prayed about it. And I still really didn't know, and so they helped me develop a plan. I went to IT. IT was able to restore my hard drive, and, you know, I get all my stuff back, and afterwards my parents said, now, don't forget that God is always faithful. God is always faithful, and even if your hard drive had been completely erased, God would still be faithful. God would still be faithful. In the midst of that, they were pointing me back to Jesus. They were teaching me that the strength didn't rely in my ability to call them and get more money to go to Best Buy and have the geek squad look at my computer. Strength didn't come from having parents who had the answers. My strength came from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they taught me to be strong in that. It's one of those things that that we have to learn uh, as we work through these situations, it teaches us how to think and how to act in life. And, and what we do is we help them process this. They begin to take it from their head and their heart, and they begin to put it into their own hands. And they begin to see that Jesus is real and that he can help them. He's available to help them every single day. The idea is that they would have an interactive relationship with him, that they would understand that as I get older, the first place I run to is not my mommy and daddy first place I run to is not my boyfriend or girlfriend. The first place when I have anything happening in my life that I need to go is to the Word of God and directly to God in prayer. We begin to put that in them. Second thing we see is this in verse 2. He says, "In In what you have heard me from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what we see from here is this, that we need to make our training transferable. We need to give our kids the tools that they will need to be able to pass on their faith to other people. This is why we take kids on mission trips. We had four teenagers and kids that went with us on mission trips. This is why we encourage our teenagers, seventh grade and up, to be a part of boot camp every year. If you took your kids to one of those backyard Bible clubs a few weeks ago, you know, you see what the teenagers are doing. They're beginning to take it and make it a part of themselves, and they're investing it into someone else. They're learning how to share their faith. They're learning how to lead other people. Our, Our whole purpose is to teach them how they can pass on their faith to someone else. I love seeing our our teenagers serving in Sunday school. It's a great way for them to begin to learn how to pass it on for themselves. When I was a youth pastor, we used to always bring back our college students that had graduated out of the the youth ministry to come back and lead small groups for Disciple Now. And in my view, I was questioned about that when I first got to the church because it used to be the adults in the church led the groups. And there were some that were like, hey, why why are you taking these kids away? Like, I've been leading these girls for the last 13 years. Why are you taking these girls away from me? 
And I, I said, well, I think it's time that we begin allowing our college students the opportunity. We have a chance to continue to disciple them even after they've gone off to school. Like now we're letting them, all the stuff that we've taught them in youth group, we're giving them a chance to put it into place. And it was, it was great to see that, to see college kids come back and lead some of their friends who were, some of them just a year or two younger than they were. They're now leading them and discipling them. So we have this, this idea that it's got to be transferable. The, the, the thing that we have to keep in mind is that if we don't make our training transferable, if we aren't pouring into someone else, if we aren't connected to someone else, there's a real danger that can happen in our spiritual walk. The danger is that we lose motivation for the things of God. Because there's a real tendency for us to think that our walk with Jesus is all about us. And the last thing we want for our kids at this stage, 14 to 21, the last thing we want for them is to think that Christianity is all about them becoming better. It's not. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus didn't die to make you a better person. Jesus died to save the world. That was his mission. And for those of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ, our lifelong mission then becomes to partner with him in saving the world. I don't know about you, but that's a way better motivation for me to get up in the morning than to just try to be better. So we have to teach our kids this, that you've got to get outside of yourself. And I'm willing to bet that if you're here this morning and you're not involved in relationships, meaningful relationships with other Christ followers, and you're not finding some other way to serve people, to serve outside of yourself, that you're probably in this exact same boat, that you're feeling unmotivated. Like your quiet times just aren't there. Maybe you're reading scripture, but it just kind of feels flat. And I I would encourage you, Take steps, whatever you need to take, to get involved in some meaningful relationships and begin serving other people. Begin joining Jesus in his mission to save the world. That's where it begins. That's where it begins to really take on a life of its own. So we have to we have, to have these uh, training opportunities that are transferable. We want to teach our kids ways that they can teach others. This is something that we've been blessed. Uh, that Bible that I gave away a couple weeks ago, the Early Readers Bible, is great. This last year, Charlie uh, went to school. She shared the gospel with one of her friends on the playground, and her friend put her trust in Jesus. And she came home and said, my friend has all these questions that I don't know the answers to. And I said, well, where can we look? She said, the Bible. I said, yes. So we talked about that. And she said, well, she also wants to learn more, and I don't know, what, I don't know how to teach her. And so we got her Early Readers Bible. We read a story. And then it had some questions, and then it says some questions to ask and some things to do. And I said, what if you just took this, and during your free time, you guys just read one story a day, and you asked her the questions and asked her what to do, based on the story that you just read. So at six years old, I was able to take something and transfer it to her. And she now has a way to go to school and transfer that to someone else. It's, it's not as hard as, as we often make it. The third thing I want us to see is this. We have to learn to process practical examples together. And this is a big part of making that training transferable. We have to make uh, process practical examples together. Look at verse 3 and following. It says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul, what does that mean? 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. Example number one, here's how a soldier works. It says he seeks to please the recruiter. Example number two, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Example number three, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of crops. So he's giving him all these examples of what it means to follow Jesus. We have to give our kids uh, the tools, as, as we discussed, they have to be transferable. But as we discussed last week, we talked about all these incidental moments, those day-to-day opportunities, but also the intentional moments. Fifth Sunday of every, every month, we just celebrate a communion. We bring our kids in here. That is an intentional moment that you can use to teach your kids about Jesus Christ. But we also have to look for the incidental moments where we're processing life with them. And the reality is, in this 14 to 21-year age, those seven years, they're going to be having a lot of life experiences. Some of those are going to be really good, and some of them may be a little bit more difficult. And we have to, we have to come alongside of them We have to go out of our way to help them process these. We have to help them process what they're experiencing. Now, process is different than preach. Can I get an amen? Process is different than preach. We have to help our kids process. Imagine how it's going to go when your son comes home and says, Dad, there's this guy who's kind of bullying me at school. And your first thing to do is sit down, son, let's have a conversation. You start preaching at him. The next time he has an issue, he's not very likely to come to you. But if you approach it a little bit differently and and you begin to ask questions, begin to say, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Is there anything that you know from the Bible that talks to this? What do you think are some things that you could do to help remedy this situation? Now you're helping him process instead of preach. And that's our job. Our job is to help them think through and to understand a little bit better what it is they should do. Uh, And the other thing that we do when we do this, when we sit down with them and we begin to help them process and we point them back to the word of God, is now they're viewing this topic through a biblical lens. They're now thinking through it in a biblical lens and we're teaching them that whenever you're struggling, what you need to do is you need to consider it through a biblical lens. And this lays the foundation for them to be able to process these difficult things on their own. Last thing I want us to see is this. Verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, Consider what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This last point is that we we have to rely on God's resources beyond you. Rely on God's resources beyond you. Paul didn't say, you know, Timothy, if you're struggling, just read my theology book, Romans. Uh, really good stuff in there. Hey, Timothy, if you're struggling, shoot me a text and I'll answer your questions. No, he says, he says, God, God will show you. God will work in you. And, and, and I have to say that, that God is going to meet his needs. What does he say exactly in verse 7? He says, God will give you understanding in everything. Paul's saying, look, I can't always be there for you, but God will be there. And I am so grateful that God is a better daddy than I am. God is a better daddy than I am. And when we begin to see that God is is working in our kids' lives, and, and we begin to believe that God wants to work in them and through them, that changes things. And let me tell you, 
a couple years ago, I went on the mission trip to Haiti. And while I was gone, Jason Dean offered to come over and, and mow our yard for us. Uh, and just kind of take care of that for me while I was, while I was gone. And I got back and was, was uh, talking with my kids, and they were at the age when we would always still just kind of talk about, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'll never forget, it was about a week after I'd come back from the mission trip. We were talking about, about that, and Malachi just could not get over that someone would come over and just mow our grass. And so I asked him, I said, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, daddy, when I grow up, I want to mow people's yards when they go on mission trips. That was his response. He wanted to serve other people. He wanted to serve other people. Now, I don't know how you take a four-year-old and teach them how to serve, how to have a heart to where all they want to do when they grow up is serve someone else. I can't teach that. Jason Dean apparently can, but I can't. There's no way I could teach that, but I'm so grateful for the other men and the other women that God has placed in my life to come around my kids, other people who are like-minded, a family of believers who will come around me and my family and invest in them the same things that I'm trying to pour into them. I'm grateful for that because I, I understand that I'm, I'm not always going to have the answers. And you know, all my years in youth ministry, it was funny because I would, I would talk to the parents a lot about, hey, what is your kid wrestling with at home? What's he talking to you about at home? How can I help you? And I would find out whatever the parents were teaching, whatever the parents were saying, usually if it was girls who were struggling with guys, you know, the girl, the dad would say, man, I wish she would stop looking at boys and start looking for a man, right? There's a big difference, right? Looking for a a young man who's responsible, just start looking for a man. And so then I would talk to her small group leader and I would say, hey, maybe you could encourage her about the kind of guys she's looking at. She doesn't need to be looking at boys. She's going off to college. She needs to be looking for a man. And so her small group leader would share that and she would come out of small group, dad, you'll never believe. You know, it just hit me tonight at small group. I need to stop looking for boys and I need to look for a man. And dad's thinking, hello, I've been saying that for the last 16 months. But guess what? As parents, especially with teenagers, young adults, you know what you sound like? You sound like the grown-ups of Charlie Brown. But someone else says it. And all of a sudden, this is like a new revelation. This is brand new information to them, and they latch onto it. And so we can't be afraid. We've got to be excited when God uses someone else in our kids' lives. We've got to be excited when God uses a circumstance, and we have to see these other people as tools, as blessings that God is using. It may be a breakup and a heartbreak that they go through that God is using for us to be able to coach them through that. It may be another adult that he's using to help sharpen them, to help strengthen them in their faith. We have to begin to rely on, on God's resources beyond ourselves. We have to cooperate with them. We're relying on resources that are so much bigger than our own ability. And I'm grateful that we have a God who is a way better father than I could ever even hope to be. He's a way better father than any of us could hope to be. He can parent better than we can. And he meets those needs for us. Now we've been in this series for the last three weeks. We've talked about imprinting the word of God on our kids' hearts 
talked about impressing the word of God on our kids' hearts, and we've talked about apprenticing them so that their faith becomes their own before they leave home. One of the things as we've gone through this series, I've tried not to do, I've tried not to give you a list of here's what good kids look like and here's what bad kids look look like. I've tried not to give you a list of here's what good parents look like and here's what bad parents look like because the whole goal of this series has been to point you not to a list but to a source. The source is God's word. And you may be here this morning and I, I want us to move now into a time of prayer and dedication. Because maybe you've been here through this series and you're realizing some things that, that God is calling you to take some next steps. And I just want us to have this opportunity to pray and to dedicate ourselves to these things. So as the worship team comes forward, they're going to play a little bit in the background. I just want us to pray. What I'd like for us to do is just bow your heads, close your eyes at this point, and we're going to have three different times of prayer. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give you the chance to respond. I want to give you a chance to respond. And as you hear or you identify with the group that I call out, I would ask that you would just stand up as a way to, to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, this is me and this is my prayer today. So if you're here today as a parent or a grandparent and you have a wayward son or a wayward daughter or a wayward grandson or a wayward granddaughter, would you just stand up and allow us to pray for you at this time? We'd love to just pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for those here this morning who have children or grandchildren who are not walking with you. Lord, we ask that you would be with those here this morning that are in that situation, that they would commit to you today. Every day that they would cry out to you on behalf of their child or their grandchild. We pray that you would work in that child or grandchild's life even today. Lord, we understand that you are bigger than we are and that you can place someone or some event in their life that would bring them back into relationship with you. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The second group of people I'm going to ask to stand up are those who are actively parenting. If you're actively parenting, you have a kid from 0 to 21, and you would say, you know what, I want to give it my best. I want to commit to imprinting, impressing, and apprenticing my kids. If that's you, parent or grandparent, and you would say, I'm committing today to raise my kids according to the word of God, would you just stand and allow me to pray over you? If that's you, if you're actively parenting or grandparenting. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we pray for those that are here today. Lord, I pray that you would be with them to help them elevate their game, not in their own power, but in your power that they would be able to parent their kids in a way that points them to the strength and the power of your word. I ask for every single child and grandchild that's represented here today, Lord, that they would make their faith their own before they leave home, and that you would give their parents wisdom and discernment in knowing how to shepherd their child towards faith in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Lastly, I'm going to ask this last group, if you are in this range from 0 to 21, I'm actually going to extend a little bit. We're going to cheat. We're going to go to 25. So if you're in 0 to 25 and you're still kind of in this this, uh, range, and you would say, you know what, I, I realize this series is as much for me as it has been for my parents, and I want to step up my game and my reliance on God's word, and I want to commit to living my life under the authority of God's word. I know you guys are up on stage, and that's all right. Y'all can go ahead and stand up too if you, if you want. I'm not saying you have to, not to embarrass you. 
But if that's you, and you say, you know what? I'm still young, but I'm committing to living my life according to authority of God's word. Would you just stand now and allow us to pray for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these teenagers, young adults, kids that are in Sunday school right now that are committing their lives to following you, to allowing your word to be the number one authority in their life. That when difficult times come, that they would turn to you, that they would rely on your strength. Father, that they would be engaged in the process of of transferring everything that they're learning and experiencing to other people around them, that they would join you in your mission to save the world. I pray that you would be with them as they face the difficulties of their teenage years and young adulthood. Lord, give them wisdom. Give them strength. Would they rely on you in everything? We ask this in Christ's name.